The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles today, if you would, and we're actually going to open to two passages of Scripture. If you'd find Matthew chapter 20, and our text verses today will be verses 29 through 34, and then also find the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, and we find the same story that we're going to read in Matthew there. So you want to keep your finger in both those passages today because we're going to slip back and forth to each one of those. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, and also Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46. And you'll note that in our reading today, this is the last of Jesus' personal healing miracles. I'm talking about individual healing miracles before he went to the cross. And when we get into chapter 21, then we'll be in Jerusalem for the last week of Jesus' life. So let's look at this passage in Matthew Uh, 20, verse number 29. Stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 20, 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still. And that's where we take the title of the message today. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, if you'll go over to the Mark passage, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46. Here in the Gospel of Mark, Mark concentrates on just one of these blind men that he names. Uh, This blind man's name is Bartimaeus. And, of course, there would be some question as to why Mark only mentions one of them, while Matthew talks about two men that were blind. But we don't really know the answer to that, except that maybe Bartimaeus became more familiar to the disciples after this incident. Remember, these accounts are written several years later. So Bartimaeus may have been one who became more familiar to them, and so they knew his name well, and that might be why that Mark mentions only him. But we look at verse 46, and it says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith 
hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Father, we thank you for this time of reading your word, and we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with us and open our eyes to this message, to this gospel today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Just a few weeks ago, after one of our services, I went out into the parking lot, and I was getting ready to get in my car to leave, and there was a a man that approached me in the parking lot uh, because of the prominent position of our church on this corner, Uh, we often get homeless people that will come by here looking for food or more often looking for money. But this man stopped me as I was getting into my car and he approached me and he started to tell me about how many mistakes that he'd made in his life. That he'd made some very bad choices and he realized that the results of those choices were now visiting him in his old age and He really had no way to deal with them and how to take care of them. He had nowhere to go. Uh, He said that he had a sister here in Rohnert Park, but she wouldn't have anything to do with him. And he was hungry, and he was making his way towards one of the shelters in Santa Rosa. Now, what struck me about this man as I spoke with him was the extreme desperation that he was in. I mean, you could just see this in his eyes that he didn't know what he was going to do next. Tears came into his eyes. There was a terror there. And he's just saying with his eyes even, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to turn. Well, we see a lot of that in our community. There are broken homes because of alcoholism. There's economic disaster in many families. There are, there's just a lot of depression with people that really don't know what to do. Well, as we look in this particular passage, we roll back the clock 2,000 years to the time of Jesus and the apostles, uh, uh, to a time when there was no government help, there, there, were, there were no social agencies, there were no hospitals with modern medicines, there weren't any homeless shelters for people to go to. So think how compounded the feelings of desperation must have been for those that were on the lowest rungs of society. And that will help you to better understand why that everywhere that Jesus went, that there were people following him. He was always being followed by crowds of people, and he was at this particular time as he made his way towards Jerusalem. Now, his fame had spread throughout Galilee. People had heard about the miracles. The whole, whole area was buzzing about that. And as he continued southward through Perea and went across the Jordan River, the news of the hope that he carried with him, traveled very quickly and reached the hearing of these two men that were outside of the city of Jericho. Now, you remember that Jesus told his disciples that Jerusalem was a determined destination. He said, I'm going there, and there I will be taken by the chief priests. I will be condemned by the priests and the scribes. And We learn in verses 18 and 19 of this chapter that the Gentiles would take him and they would scourge him and in the cruelest manner possible, they would put him to death by crucifixion. And it's with those thoughts weighing constantly on his mind that Jesus made his way towards Jerusalem and his own words were now echoing in his ears as he was thinking about how terrible that the death of the cross would be. And while he was thinking about that, with the terrible weight of his own destiny upon him, he had time, he took time to stop and to meet the need 
of these two very desperate blind men. Now, the compassion of Jesus knows no bounds. He heals people, and he's always teaching people as he does. And this is very important for us because the story really doesn't mean very much to us. Unless we just take this and learn from it, we appropriate it, and we see ourselves in the same desperate, hopeless condition that these men were in. Now, as we look at this text, there's some very interesting comparisons that can be made. Did you know, for instance, that the name Jesus and Joshua are the same name? We find Jesus in the New Testament, Joshua in the Old Testament, but the names are exactly the same. Both of those names mean Jehovah is salvation. Now, there are a couple of places in the New Testament where the name Joshua, or Jesus rather, is substituted for Joshua when it's very clear that Joshua is the name that's intended. Now, if you want to make a note of this and look it up a little bit later, you'll find these two places in Acts 7, verse 45, and in Hebrews 4, verse number 8. And when you see that, that is not a mistake in your Bible because the names Jesus and Joshua mean exactly the same thing. And I think that's an interesting point because as Jesus traveled southward through Perea and crossed the Jordan from the east to enter into the city of Jericho to perform this miracle, Jesus was doing what Joshua did some 1,400 years earlier when he crossed the Jordan River to conquer the city of Jericho. Now, what Jesus did was to come into the city and there he would heal people He came to conquer the greatest enemy that we have, and that's sin. Sin is the thing that really permeates us and gets us down and destroys us. And Jesus came to be the one who conquers our sin. That's the enemy of God's people. And Joshua crossed the Jordan River 1,400 years earlier to conquer the Canaanites who were the enemies of God's people. I think just an interesting comparison to be made. But further than that... uh, There are some other important lessons that we can learn about this. And most importantly today, I want to talk to you about how that you can get the attention of Jesus. And how do you get Jesus to help you when you have a desperate need? Now, first, on your listening sheet, this is what we want to discuss. And that is how to get the attention of Jesus. Now, you can imagine that getting Jesus' attention was just a major undertaking for these two blind men. These are two of just thousands of people that were there. Uh, They were all vying for his attention. Two of thousands that were suffering from a multitude of physical illnesses. All of them were trying to get Jesus to help them. I mean, not even considering the various other diseases and the demon possession that Jesus dealt with and all of that. There were also thousands of blind people. It was just a very common problem at that time. And Jericho just happened to be a place for blind people to gather. Now, it was a beautiful place in the time of Jesus, a palm springs in the desert, you might say, a destination for the very wealthy. Herod had built a palace there. Mark Antony, the Roman general, had given the city to Cleopatra as a gift. So it was truly a beautiful place. But, of course, blind people weren't there for the beauty. They didn't have any sense of the beauty of Jericho. But there are two important factors that would draw blind people to Jericho. Uh, The city was famous for a balsam wood that uh, was grown there, and the sap of the balsam tree was taken and used to treat eye diseases. 
but then also because it was such a very wealthy place that beggars would come there because it was more likely that they would get a bigger handout than they would in any other place. So Jericho was filled with blind people. So there were many blind people there, not just these two, but these two are singled out to teach us a very important spiritual lesson. Now, the spiritual side of this is that blindness is one of the ways that the Bible describes our spiritual condition. Many times, the Bible uses sight and blindness to describe the knowledge that we have of God. Now, why does the Bible use blindness? It's because we don't really have any knowledge of God. As lost people, we don't, before we come to know Christ, we don't know anything about God. And so the Bible uses these terms. For instance, 2 Corinthians says that Satan has blinded the eyes of those that are lost, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in. In John chapter 3, it says there that you must be born again before you can see the kingdom of God. In the book of Ephesians, it tells us that we receive understanding, wisdom, and enlightenment by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus used the term seeing and blindness when he referred to the Laodicean church, and he said that you are blind, you're miserable, and you're naked. And so when you talk to people about the Lord, one of the first things that they need to know is that they are indeed spiritually blind that they are spiritually helpless without Jesus Christ. They are in a desperate condition, and the eyes of their spiritual understanding must be opened or they'll die and spend eternity in the fires of hell. And so how can anyone who is spiritually blind get Jesus to stop and listen to them, to pay attention to them? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. How do you get Jesus' attention? Well, first, you have to admit that your problem is real. You have to come clean about your problem. And that's hard for a lot of people to admit. I mean, they think that they're doing fine, that they have no spiritual needs to deal with. But Jesus knows that you have a problem, even if you won't admit what that problem is. And Jesus also said that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said those that are well don't need a physician. And so unless you're willing to come clean about your problem, admit that you have a problem, you'll remain in that spiritually blind condition, and the one who can heal you, the doctor who knows how to do that, will not help you. If you don't think that you need the doctor, then he won't come. Well, these are two men that had a serious problem. The problem is obvious. They're blind. But in that day, blindness was so common that most people didn't think very much about it at all. In that country where the dust was always swirling around, where there were all kinds of diseases and conditions were unsanitary, when there was venereal disease, which was one of the main causes of blindness at that time, it was just so common. And there were so many blind people that others could see blind people but not really pay any attention to them at all. They didn't really matter. Now, there are several instances in the New Testament where we find that Jesus healed blind people, but there must have been hundreds of more healings that we don't even read about. Because didn't John tell us that there are many miracles that Jesus did that are not recorded in the Word of God? And so there were, I'm sure, many, many other times when Jesus healed blind people. It was such a common problem. But blindness is just one of the issues that's confronted here. 
With that blindness came other problems. These men were also beggars. They were poverty-stricken. They had no one to take care of them. Now, in those days, you would usually find two or more people together. Nobody really thought very much about the blind or two blind people together because the only ones that really helped or even cared were other blind people. This is why you see two men on the road to Jericho. Two men, they're in a desperate condition. They're in misery, and misery loves company. And there is no misery that's deeper than this. The blindness and the poverty is a double dose of despair. Well, all of that's interesting, I think, but it really doesn't do us very much good until we look at this story and we say, move over, blind men, and let me sit down beside you. We need to see ourselves in this story before it can ever help us. But as I said, it's very hard to admit that we have any needs, that we have a real problem. It's difficult to do, uh, hard to admit our desperation when we're sitting here in an air-conditioned building on beautiful tree-lined Country Club Drive in Ronard Park. It's hard to admit that we actually need anything when we have nice cars that are in the parking lot. And most of you will get very hungry before I'm done with this sermon, but you know that you're going to go home and there's plenty of food on the table. You'll be able to eat. You'll be satisfied. It's hard to admit in our fineness and in our smugness and in our self-righteousness that we actually do need anything. But the only way that you're going to get Jesus to stop and listen to you is to realize that you are blind, realize that you are blind to your true condition, that the wrath of God is on you, and realize that you're blind to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if there's ever a time to come clean about your spiritual problems, that your good works and your self-righteousness will not help you, the time is today. And that's because Jesus is passing by this place today, and you need to talk to him. Now, you see these blind men, they only had one opportunity to meet Jesus. He's on his way through Jericho, on the way to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. He'll never be back by that way again. In just a few days, he would be hanging on the cross. The blind men would never have another chance. And folks, that is the way that we have to see the opportunity that we have before us today. Jesus may not pass by this way again. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. It says that your life is like a vapor that passes away. In other words, the Bible says that you're here today and you're gone tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You don't know what will take place tomorrow or this week. You don't know if you'll ever make it back into a church service again. Jesus is passing by here today, and you may never have this opportunity like you have right now. Now, secondly, if you want to get Jesus' attention, you have to admit that his power is reliable. As we look at this, the faith of these blind men is just a remarkable part of the story because they had never actually seen Jesus do anything. All that they have is word of mouth. All that they have is what someone has told them. And yet for that blindness, they had a spiritual insight that others didn't have. Luke says that they heard the commotion that was going on and they asked what was happening and the crowd said to them, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, Jesus of Nazareth still rings of skepticism. They attached the name Nazareth to his name, and of course, he did live there. 
But Nazareth is that mean little city that was in Galilee, what we might call the ghetto of Galilee. Nobody believed that anything good ever came out of Nazareth. Uh, the, later in the book of John, you'll read there, they, they, they ask the question, is, is there a prophet in Galilee? Look, and they say, there's no prophet that's ever come out of Galilee. So Jesus of Nazareth, that, that's not really an admission of his lordship and who he is. But we notice here what the blind men say when they're told this. They say, have mercy on us, Lord, thou son of David. And I'm sure they didn't fully understand what that meant because even the disciples at this point don't fully understand it. But they had some kind of a recognition here that they knew that he was Lord. They called him Messiah because everyone knew that son of David means Messiah or the great king that's coming to rescue his people. Charles Spurgeon had some excellent insight into their faith. He wondered how that they had received just this kind of faith and how did they know to call out to him as the son of David? And I want you to listen for just a few minutes to this great description that he gives about Bartimaeus in the Mark passage. And I'll tell you something about Spurgeon. He has a way of saying things that I can't say. And that's why I wanted to read to you what he said. Just eloquence, the beauty of the language that he used back in the 19th century. He said, how did he acquire his faith? Methinks it might be in this fashion. On the nearest bank he could find outside Jericho... He sat begging in the sunlight, where blind men always love to bask in the sun. Though they see nothing, there is a kind of glimmering that penetrates the visual organ, and they rejoice in it. At least they feel the heat of the great orb of day if they see not its light. Well, as he sat there, he would hear the passers-by talking of Jesus of Nazareth, and as blind men are usually inquisitive, he would ask them to stay and tell him the story some tale of what Jesus had done. And they would tell him how he raised the dead and healed the leper. And he would say, I wonder if he can give sight to the blind. And one day it came to pass that he was told Jesus had restored to sight a man that had been born blind. Well, this indeed was the great master story the world has to tell, for it had never been so known before in Israel that a man who had been born blind should have his eyes opened. I think I see the poor man as he hears the story. He drinks it in, claps his hands and cries, then yet there's hope for me. Mayhap the prophet will pass this way, and if he doth, oh, well, I'll cry to him again. I will beg him to open my eyes too, for if the worst case has been cured, then surely mine may be. Many and many a day as he sat there, he would call to the passerby again and would say, Come, tell me the story of the man that was born blind and of Jesus of Nazareth that opened his eyes. Perhaps he would even get tiresome as blind men are wont. He must hear the story told him a hundred times over. And always would there be a smile on the poor fellow's face when he heard the refreshing narrative. It never could be told too often, for he loved to hear it. To him it was like a cool, refreshing breeze in the heat of burning sun. Tell it me, tell it me, tell it me again, says he, the sweet story of the man that opened the eyes of the blind. And methinks as he sat all alone and unable to divert his mind with many things, he would always keep his heart fixed on that one narrative and turn it over and over and over again till in his daydreams he would half think he could see and sometimes almost imagined that his own eyes were going to be opened too. Perhaps on one of those occasions, 
as he was turning over this in his mind, some text of Scripture he had heard in the synagogue occurred to him. He heard that Messiah should come to open the eyes of the blind. And quick in thought, having better eyes within than he had without, he came at once to the conclusion that the man who could open the eyes of the blind was none other than the Messiah. And from that day, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Now, friends, that is the story of a man who believed in the power of Jesus and believed that it was reliable. You see, they called out in faith, really believing that Jesus could help them. And did you know that's what real faith is? Real faith is not just faith or believing the facts that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Real faith is not just believing the facts that one day Jesus died on the cross. Millions of people believe that, but they're not actually Christians. Real faith is when you realize that this power is for you. It's when you realize that he is the only one that can help your desperation. And when you realize that he's the one who died for your sins, and he's the one that can make you right with God... Real faith is when you put your trust in him completely that all of this that he did was for you. And you can't have him any other way. He doesn't come to you in any other way. He won't help you in any other way unless you admit your need and you come to him and say, Jesus Christ, you're the only one that can help me with this. You have the power. Your power is reliable to help me. And that's what you have to have in faith, reliance on that power that can make you spiritually whole. So you must admit that your problem is real and you must admit that his power is reliable. Now, thirdly, what you must do is that you must approach him with a passion that is relentless. Now, if these blind men had anything going for them, it was their persistence. Verse number 31 says the crowd tried to silence them. Mark 10:48 says that Bartimaeus was told to hold his peace but he wouldn't stop. These men just kept crying out. And you really have to understand what kind of cries these were. This was not a, just a mere little whimper that they, were, that they were crying out. No, the words that are used here in the original language means that this cry is a shriek. It's something that's shrill. It's like, it's like the cries that come from people that are demon-possessed. And they kept crying out, and they were persistent about it, and they kept yelling to Jesus. And it was so effective and it was so loud that in the midst of thousands that were calling out to him, Jesus heard those cries. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, thou son of David. And they would not stop. They kept crying out to him. And the crowd was becoming irritated by it. And in verse number 32 of Matthew, it says, And Jesus stood still. And Jesus stood still. The sun stood still. Joshua, Jesus, the sun stood still, the Bible says. Spurgeon said, I've heard of Joshua who said, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. But I rank the blind beggar above Joshua, for he caused the sun of righteousness to stand still. And so that persistence, the passion, caused Jesus to stand still. The psalmist said, Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And the beggar said, we know that scripture. We know that you are God, but now you stand still. Stand still and hear us. And I want to ask you, have you tried that yourself? Have you cried out to Jesus and you've said to him, please, Jesus, stand still and listen to what I need. Help me with what I need. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? Do you want Jesus to hear you? Do you really want his attention? Then you have to admit that your problems are real. And you must admit that his power is reliable. And then also with passion, come to him, approach him with passion that is relentless. Now I need to move on quickly. Jesus rewards persistence. Keep asking and he will hear you. Next we need to talk about how to appreciate Jesus. I mean, what a great story this is. I mean, there are two blind men here among thousands that were able to get the attention of Jesus. What caused him to stop and to listen to these two men? And we know about their persistence. We know about this uncommon faith that they have. But what is it that makes Jesus listen to people? You know, there's a very good answer to that question. What makes Jesus stop and listen to people that are in trouble, that have needs, that come to him and say, help me? Why does Jesus stop? Because that's just the way that he is. Because that's one of his attributes. It's because he is a person of compassion. Now, can you appreciate this? That with empathy, Jesus hears you. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, empathy, that is a great word to use to describe Jesus. It means the ability to share another's emotions. It means to share their feelings or to actually enter into another's experiences. Thirty-one times in the New Testament, we read phrases like this, He was moved with compassion. And that's significant because in the Greek language, what that actually means is that his insides, his internal organs, his lungs, his stomach, his intestines moved. He yearned with compassion whenever he came in contact with human need. And do you know that that's one of the reasons that God became man? This is why Jesus came into the world and became a man. It was so that he could feel what we feel so that he could go through things that we experience. The book of Hebrews says that he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now, can you appreciate that? With so many people that have so many needs that Jesus cares about what's going on with you. Now, remember, this is Passover time. Jesus is headed for Jerusalem And there are literally thousands of people that are on their way there. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem was clogged with pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the Passover time. Now, that was the preferred route to go through Perea, the same way that Jesus came, to cross the Jordan River into Jericho, then go to Jerusalem. Because to go the other way, to come down the other route, would have been to go through Samaria. And Jews will not go through Samaria because Samaria is defiling. It's filled with Gentiles. And so here in this most holy time of the year, all of these people are clogging the road, going to Jerusalem from from that direction, from Jericho, coming down through Perea. 
And it was with all that crowd, with all of these people crying out to Jesus, Jesus was tuned to mercy. And so it was on this wavelength of mercy that he actually heard these two men crying out among all of those thousands. And do you know that Jesus has the same compassion for you? He stops and he stands still for you when you cry out to him. You see, he knows everything that you're going through. He knows every pain that you felt. He knows every sorrow that you have in your life. He is aware of all of that. He knows the rejection that you feel. Jesus has experienced it all. And then can you appreciate this about Jesus, that with encouragement, he heartens you. Now, he does know what you're going through, and with encouragement, he will hearten you. Mark 10, 49 says, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. So Jesus said, Bring him over here. And they said to him, Be of good comfort. And you know, I think those are words that Jesus would speak himself because Jesus had spoken them before. Those words actually mean, Cheer up, cheer up, take heart, have courage. And it's only because of Jesus that you can have courage. He used similar words with the disciples that were fearful out on the stormy sea. He told them, cheer up, take courage, I'm here. And he said those words to a paralyzed man. And he said those words to a woman who had been sick for 12 years. He said those words to Paul when he was arrested and put into prison. Jesus responds to you. And he tells you to cheer up, to take courage, get on your feet. See, whenever we come together here and we sing the songs and we worship together and we pray and when we read God's Word and you listen to the sermon, that is all those things of Jesus saying to you in these many different ways, cheer up, take courage, I'm here and I can help you. Now finally, to get Jesus' attention, you have to act on it. You have to have the intention of acting on it. So now how to act on the attention of Jesus? Do you sense that you have his attention? Do you believe that he can actually hear you? Then don't blame him if you don't intend to act on that. Now, in the passage in Mark, there are three actions that the blind man took that you need to take. You need to take the same three actions if you want Jesus to help you. First, you have to forsake all deterrents that keep you from Jesus. In the Mark passage, it says... And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. So Mark makes note that the blind man cast away his garment and came. And I thought about that for a while. Is that a significant statement? Why is that put into the Scripture that the blind man cast away his garment and came to Jesus? Is that important to us? Well, I think that it is. When you look behind this and you see what the word garment actually means... It means more than just a sweater that he wore. It means more than just a a jacket that he wore. But the word here actually means a huge outer coat that could be used for sleeping. That this is something that a blind man or a beggar would use to wrap himself up in on a cold desert night. And this garment that this blind man had represents all that he had. All that he had. And he was willing to cast away all that he had and come to Jesus. Now, he's unlike the rich man that we read about in the 19th chapter of Matthew 
there that rich man had so many possessions that when Jesus said, you have to leave them behind and follow me, that that rich man had too many things and there were too much to keep him away. And he said, I just can't do it. I can't follow. He could not leave his riches behind. And so in sorrow, he went away and he didn't receive eternal life but not the blind man. There was nothing that held him back. And when you decide to come to Jesus, there must be nothing that will hold you back because there are many things that will hold you back. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's your friend. Sometimes it's a job. I mean, they're there with friends and family. I mean, it's not uncommon to, for relationships to suffer when you become a Christian. And then there may be sins that you want to hold on to, that you're not willing to give up your sin. Well, if you want Jesus to help you, you must. The Bible says that you must repent of all of your sins, and you have to be willing to forsake all of that and come to him. And if you don't, then you remain blind. Now, do you think the blind man would miss this one opportunity that he had, that he would not forsake everything to be healed from his blindness? Do you think he'd miss that opportunity? Well, he didn't. He cast his garment aside and he came to Jesus. You know, a question has to be asked you, how, real ba- how badly do you really want to escape hell? Do you, do you realize that you're going there? I mean, how badly do you want to escape the fires of hell? And that will determine about how much you're willing to give up in order to come to Jesus. So you have to surrender all. All of it must be his if you're going to get his help. Secondly, how do you act? Well, you have to focus on what you desire from Jesus. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? Now, Jesus said, Now, just what is it that you want me to do? Well, didn't he already know? I mean, somebody had to go through the crowd and lead these blind men through to bring them to Jesus. Isn't that a pretty good indication of what they wanted? And let me tell you something. Jesus knew these two men before they came. Jesus knew them before he left Galilee. And get this, he knew them before he left heaven. He knew these blind men. So why would he ask, what do you need? Well, that's important because he wanted to move them beyond, have mercy to their one specific area of need. And that's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to face up to your problem. Lord, I need comfort. Lord, I need this relationship to stop. Lord, I need need you to clean up my mouth. Lord, I need for you to help me to get my thought life under control. Jesus wants you to confess your real need because when you face up to that problem and you confess it, that means that you have owned it. A general call for help will not help if you don't have any real intention of facing the problem. And then once you've faced it, you have to be ready to do whatever Jesus tells you to do about it. Be ready to do whatever Jesus says to do about it. Now, Jesus said to an epileptic man's father, how long has he been that way? You think Jesus didn't know how long he'd been that way? Of course he did. But he wanted them to face up to the length, the breadth, and the depth of the problem that they had. When Jesus came to Bethany upon the death of Lazarus, his sister came to him, and Jesus said to her, where have you laid him? 
You think Jesus didn't know where he was, that he was in the grave, that he didn't have that information? He's God. Of course he knew that. But he wanted them to face up that he was the only one that could take care of the problem that they had, that he's the only one that can raise the dead. And so he asked the question, where have you laid him? So they would face that problem, that he's the only one that can help. And Jesus said to the blind men, what do you want me to do? And they replied, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Just complete desperation and sorrow here. Lord, that our eyes may be opened. We know that you're the only one who can do this impossible miracle. Please open our eyes. And we look at Mark 10, 52. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, I don't know if you mark in your Bible or not, but this is a real good place for you to start. You just draw a big line under this. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. This is important. The Greek word for whole there is the word sozo. It means delivered. It means saved. In fact, that is the Bible's most common word for salvation. They were whole physically, but more importantly, they were whole spiritually. They could see physically, but they were saved spiritually. And so now we have these men saved and on their way to heaven. But what does he want you to do next? Well, the same thing that these men did. The thing that Jesus wants you to do next is to follow in discipleship. Follow in the discipleship of Jesus. Three things that we see there that you need to do. Forsake, focus, and follow. Let me ask you something. Does Jesus save you for the immediate time of salvation only? For that immediate moment of salvation? Is that why he saves you just for that? You know, there are a lot of people that make that foolish mistake. They, they put all of their eggs in this basket of Jesus saves me and gives me eternal life. He, he, he's going to keep me out of hell. But Jesus doesn't save you just for that. He saves you with the intention of making you his follower, of making you a worshiper of him, of making you his disciple. And so his salvation is not just to punch your ticket to get you out of hell. And what you need to understand is that your salvation is not so much about you as it is about him. Because when he saves you, he makes you into someone who will glorify him. He gives you a life that will glorify his name. So Jesus didn't tell the blind men to stay in Jericho. They wanted to follow him. And I suppose they did. They did what he said. They followed him. And it was only a short time until his death. And I suppose that they followed him all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, wouldn't you do this? Wouldn't you forsake everything that you have if someone had done this for you and follow him? Wouldn't you do that? Well, there are many of you that say that you do or you will, but you don't. You say that you'll give everything to Christ, but you don't. You follow for a little bit and then you stop. And then you go your own way for a while. And then maybe you get a little bit convicted about that and so you go look for the footsteps and try to find the path where he went and you try to get in that pathway again and you follow a little bit longer, but then you fall out again, you stop, you don't continue following him. 
And that happens over and over and over again in your Christian life. And this is the way it is for most Christians. They're hit and miss as followers of Jesus. But he wants someone who follows consistently in his discipleship because that's where the blessings of the Lord are. Now, there's no reason for Jesus to tell these men to stay in Jericho because the next stop on their journey is the fulfillment of his promise for coming into the world. He was on his way to the cross. And what greater sight could there be for newly opened eyes than to see the Son of Man, the Son of David, to see Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of the world? And then what could be a better thing to tell immediately after then Jesus arose from the dead I think they followed him all the way there and I think they saw the crucifixion and I believe they're part of those witnesses that Jesus arose from the dead they said Jesus son of David have mercy on us and Jesus the son stood still Have you called out to Jesus? Friends, I want to tell you, he is the son of David and he is passing this way. This is your opportunity this morning and you don't want to miss it. Jesus may never come this way again. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't have any idea what's going to happen to you in the next hour. Whether you're going to have another breath before this day, you have no idea. What you miss today can turn out to be the worst mistake that you'll ever make. And I will tell you this, that if you leave here today without Jesus Christ, that is the worst mistake that can be made. You don't go away blind when you can see. You don't go away blind when you can see. And if you call out to him, the scriptures show us that Jesus the Son will stand still. He will listen and he will open your eyes and he will give you that understanding of who he is and how you can have eternal life in him. I'm asking you today, trust him. Trust him because he still opens the eyes of the blind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. What a, what a great story is told to us here. What a great example that this is for us. You open blinded eyes. If people will call upon you, if they will confess their sins, repent of them, and place their faith in you, knowing that you're the only one that can help them, then, Lord, you promise you will stand still, you will listen, you'll hear that prayer, and you will grant that prayer. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that today is the day that their eyes are opened to who you are. Now, as your word has showed us, you don't intend to do anything for anybody to help anyone who doesn't, who doesn't react and do something about their problem. That means come to you in faith, believing that you can help them. Lord, speak to some heart today. And then also, Lord, that all of us that do know you as Savior, that we would follow faithfully and that we would help people that are spiritually blind to see Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Bless us, Lord. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 
or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.